0: Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine Leperriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're gonna gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're gonna hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged and really inspired you. We wanna hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you wanna hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am going to start by sharing why I invited you on the show. And I have had the opportunity to work with you at our days at Miller-Hyman. Wow. Back 2008, I think might've been the start of that so for me anyway. So it was lovely because I just remember one of the things that I saw in you was just an incredible passion for people, passion for leadership and passion for sales. I mean, you, you just ooze that, <laughs> um, anytime that I've been around you and just a real commitment to, um, paying attention and engaging with the people around you. So I feel like you would be a great person to interview on the best boss ever show. So thank you.
1: Well, thanks for having me. And I could mirror all that back to you as to the, how excited I was to accept the, the invitation. So awesome to be able to talk to you. And I really enjoyed the time that we did share, professionally speaking.
0: Thank you so much. So I'm going to dive in as I am, uh, you know, I'm so curious on your thoughts. So tell us what would be an example of your best boss ever, if you can think back on that.
1: I can, you know, as I should have, I prepared a bit um, so that I'd know exactly at least who and from a profile standpoint I wanted to talk about. And I'm actually going to name this person by name because I think that they deserve it and, and would like to have their name recognized in this way. Uh, I had a couple of opportunities to work for this person. His name is Jason Reed. I worked for him as he was a senior leader for a company called Office Depot, which many people have heard of in their commercial division. And then later crossover with him as he held a leadership position at Miller Hyman Group, where we shared some time as well. And there were a lot of reasons that I selected him. In your descriptions of these, you say you're gonna hear stories and you're gonna hear how these leaders made people feel. And so as broad as that is, he made me feel great. You know, he made me feel smart, made me feel valued. And then something we can certainly unpack in more detail and important for me, he made me feel safe. And there's just a lot of thought leadership right now about how safety breeds innovation. And you have to have a culture of creativity and idea sharing. And I thought he just did an outstanding job with that.
0: That is excellent. And I I'm I'm smiling because I know Jason Reed. So yet again, I, I love when these interviews extend into leaders that I've actually worked with. So I think this is excellent. I can't wait to hear more. Can you? So you talked about he made you feel smart, he made you feel valued, and he made you feel safe. I'd love you to explain in more detail, especially which each each one of those traits. Like what specifically did he do?
1: Yeah, and I, I think these hallmark characteristics I know are ones you've likely heard from other participants in the podcast, right? But I'm going to hone in on the notion of of safety because for me, it was especially important. I came to realize in my professional career that I suffered something that many do called imposter syndrome. It doesn't mean that you're not capable. It certainly doesn't mean that you're not able to execute. It just means that occasionally you, you might feel like you're not delivering the value that you were intended to. And I I just thought that Jason did such an outstanding job of being able to shepherd me through those moments where I felt fraudulent, even if I wasn't, and really unlocked the potential for me to really capitalize on where I was good. And I could tell you, it started from the very first time I met him in the interview process. So I went to the interview, flew into Florida to talk to him and a couple of other folks. And Like is often the case, we had a couple of hours scheduled, but I remember he and his partners were posing incredibly difficult questions, ones to which I I had no real great answer. And I remember regularly answering it first by saying, you know, I'm not sure, or I don't know, or I'll have to think about that. And at the conclusion of that first hour, I was thinking, geez, you know, I I didn't hit the mark here. I I just wasn't able to, to give good concrete answers. And I'll never forget him inviting in one of his senior leaders toward the end of that hour and saying, listen, I want you to meet this guy, Eric. He had the best answers to some of our questions because they all started with, I don't know, or I'll have to think about that. And he said, we're wrestling with very difficult challenges here. And we're looking to divine and design approaches that other organizations haven't tackled or taken. So we're really looking for somebody who wants to get involved in that way, rather than somebody that thinks they have all the answers. So he had me hooked right from the beginning, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, that is fantastic. That is such a good example. I thought what you were going to say, I'm, I'm going to admit out loud that I thought what you were going to say is that he coached you on not starting your answers that way. And so I'm smiling over here because the brilliance of being able to appreciate when people start by admitting that they don't know and then talking out loud about what they think, We don't we don't acknowledge what a good trait that actually is.
1: I agree. And I think it really leads to some of his characteristics and I would characterize him as an egoless leader. And that comes up a lot. And so for me to give that some definition, at least from my perspective, could be important. It's not that Jason didn't have an ego. He was a highly, highly confident person. And you might remember that. Yeah, And he, he had a, a nice big ego, but not when it came to trying to tackle problems or pretending he had the answers to everything and so his level of vulnerability and recognizing that if he didn't have the answers he wanted thought partners to help him figure those answers out was second to none in my career and i i think that that's kind of a, a great way to think about you know how he unlocked that potential for safety and this feeling that your opinions and your thoughts and how you wanted to approach things would be valued and so Yeah, right from that interview, I felt that. But there were moments where he wasn't shy about giving me direct coaching as well. So you mentioned that. You know, I'd share one that's kind of in keeping with this conversation. So as part of imposter syndrome, he would regularly say I could show up from time to time with these very, very strong and probably correct opinions, but I would all shucks my way through it. Those were his (laughs) words. And I remember him sitting down and saying, stop, no all shucks. And it became a a regular affirmation, if you will, for us over the years that we worked together that occasionally, you know, figuratively, as I was going out the door and he would say, Hey, no, all shucks, right? (laughs) Just a reminder to go in there and have the confidence that I should. And I think the reason it was important is I spent a good bit of time as a first line leader, but when I went to work for Jason, it was my first exposure to becoming a second line leader and the path to senior leadership.
0: That is a great, you know, and it's funny that you're talking about imposter syndrome because I obviously have a heavy focus on women's leadership. We talk about imposter syndrome a lot, but I love to hear male perspective because my argument has always been that imposter syndrome, it, it, you know, it hits a lot of us. (laughs) It it is. It's an interesting phenomenon, if you want to call it that.
1: Yeah. And I think the reason that leadership plays such a role in helping what are often very talented people, not that I'm talking about myself, but very talented people who might suffer it is, you know, most people could feel very fierce about their belief in self at a core level. And most people professionally, especially if they've ascended first line to second line, certainly know how to project confidence on the far outside. But you spend most of your time between those two extremes, right? And so if you work with a boss long enough, invariably, you have to expose that middle ground. And if you're working with bosses with whom you think you're always supposed to have the answers or have things figured out, or you get chastised for not having the answers, that makes it hard for you to be vulnerable, to fail, to share bold and big ideas. And I think that's what Jason did a really good job of unlocking. I'll remember, and I'll just give you one anecdote. One of the things that he did regularly with us as a team, he had five or seven direct reports, and he was in a senior vice president role at the time, would be to bring us in to Florida. And I know that's not taking place as regularly today, but it would be Mm -hmm. a, a, a virtual meeting today and express to us exactly what he was wrestling with from his perspective back to the business. And he would say, I've taken it this far, and he'd give us his perspective. And then he would leave the room for hours and say, I'd like you guys to wrestle with this and try to solve for these things. And when I come back, let's talk about how we blend the thoughts that I've had with the thoughts you have and what our plan to bring that back to the business will be. And that just became a regular staple of the way he ran his team meetings when we got together live was to offload almost, you know, the real challenge of the business to us and let us wrestle with it. That was phenomenal.
0: That's so smart. It sounds like a lot of these practices, again, really tap into the the innovation capability of the team and like the collective genius instead of it just being kind of one person's genius.
1: And I know that your roles in this notion of best boss transcend sales. I've spent the majority of my career in sales, but one thing's for sure today, it definitely takes teaming and collaboration to do it successfully. And so, for him to be a pioneer in that direction, I think was really important. One of the things you and I talked about in advance as we thought about this podcast was, you know, how did these ideas and these practices influence me? Well, I made that a staple in how I've run my teams ever since. I don't come with all the answers. If I came with all the answers and all I was looking for was validation, I don't need a team, right? right. So being willing and able to be vulnerable yourself as a leader. Bring the challenges that you're trying to solve for to a team and getting people to collaborate around it is an imperative today.
0: And and I'm curious, as you know, I mean, I'm in the space of working with leaders and I always bump up against this argument of what's the return on investment. I had a client at the end of last year who wanted me to give out a detailed return on investment of the investment in his leaders being best bosses. And so my question to you, because I'm still trying to figure out how to quantify it. How would you put a measure to Jason's impact to the business in the way that he led?
1: It's a, it's a great question. And and certainly I don't have a a mathematical answer, but I can tell you this, you don't want to bring new people on and train them. Plenty of thought leadership surrounding that people don't leave jobs. They leave bosses, Mm -hmm. right? And I can unequivocally tell you that the team that I worked with that surrounded Jason were fiercely loyal to him and prevented a lot of turnover in a very uncertain set of circumstances. When you're trying to tackle something new, you need continuity, you need, you need fortitude, and you need teams to come together over longer periods of time than six months or a year to really solve for big, profound issues and his ability to keep people intact was also second to none. So I'm not sure exactly how you quantify that unless you look at it, you know, account, account by account or business by business, but being able to keep people is an extremely important part of, you know, leadership and being a boss.
0: And you know, it's funny that you say that because retention. I've argued retention before, and some people will say, oh, well, we have great retention. So what does that matter? But engagement is so hard to, like you said, there's not a mathematical answer, but the ability to hold a team together who continues to fight during a long, difficult challenge, there is numbers there somewhere. Like We just don't have the alternate reality of what happens when the team continues to fall apart over and over and over again right
1: it speaks to loyalty and i I like the way you're framing that and a fierceness and passion toward whatever you're trying to deliver back to the business right everybody coming together for those things and sometimes it takes leaders making tough decisions themselves on what they get behind and what narratives they give back to the business one of the things i remember well about jason is how much he would defend us as a team, the things we were working on and our own perspectives, and he was particularly good at managing up. He mm. was fearless about managing up. He would do it sometimes at his own detriment. I'm not going to give the circumstances that surround this story or you know exactly what company I was working for at the time. I did say I, I worked for him at two different occasions, but I remember one of my peers stumbling quite mightily on a personal front making a, a series of personal mistakes that had influenced some things at business. Nothing that I w- would say, you know, made it incredibly improprietous, put anyone at danger, but it was the kind of thing where a judgment call had to be made on whether or not, you know, this person should stay. And Jason was willing to take that message up on this person's behalf. Ultimately, the business made the decision that this person could not continue, but his willingness to do the, do so spoke volumes about his willingness to support his people. I hear that a lot in all forms of leadership. He wasn't reckless. He wasn't trying to defend something that made no sense to defend. So I need to get that out there. But it was an opportunity where he could have easily just taken the easy route and said, corporate says, but he didn't. And he was willing to do that. And he did that quite regularly, even with compensation.
0: And, you know, I mean, you know, you talk about safety. Also, what mindset does that bring if you know that your leader is going to fight for you? to the death, right? Like, you know that they are going to go to bat for you in a way that is fierce, I think is the word you said. Like, what does that do when you're working for someone like that to your mindset? Yeah,
1: I think safety is such an important word, which is why I sort of led with it, right? And a lot of thought leadership talks about you got to unlock innovation and creativity by creating it and what does it mean? And so it doesn't mean that I always felt that my job was safe, you know, in a sales profession, You do have to deliver on results and metrics, right? But I was safe in that I could share ideas, even if they weren't good. I could have micro failures. I'm going to use your word from before. And that was okay because you can't succeed without a few failures. And I never felt like I had to have all the answers. And if you can foster a culture like that, then I think you're a great boss. I think you'll get the most out of people. And all you're ever trying to do is optimize the performance of your team, right?
0: Oh, this is great. I am really enjoying this. So now if you were to look at, you know, you don't have to definitely name any names, but I always say working for leaders that weren't your best, (laughs) you don't have to rank them or anything like that, but the ones that weren't your favorite, what is the thing that you observed or learned from them? Because we learn a lot from our not favorite bosses too.
1: We do. And it's easy to paint the picture the opposite, but I'm going to come back to what I tied to, to develop some passion for having this conversation, how does a boss make you feel? Right. And so the, I can think of one in particular, but, but several, but I can think of one in particular that just had an act for making it me feel like my contribution wasn't that important. And that I was dispensable
0: mm-hmm. and I'm going
1: to, I'm going to give you one particular story. I just find it interesting. Um. I was making my first transition from first line to second line leadership. I was about 30 years old and I was doing some open water swimming at that point in my life. And I had somehow contracted uh, a little bug, a stomach bug. And it was pretty profound though, because I remember being at a client's office. I know this is a little weird, so sorry to the audience, but I was at a client's office and got a call from the public health department in the state of Texas they had chased me down this was pre everyone having a cell phone at their disposal and i remember them tracking me down and saying hey you've got this bug it's contagious you might want to think about getting some medication you're not in urgent or dire circumstances but we want to get it addressed when the health department takes the time to track you down while you're mobile and you're in a different part of the state it begs of pretty important circumstances so I called this particular boss at the time, and I remember explaining to them the situation that I had just gotten the call, and I was due to go to one of our largest partners that next day to do a partner review. And I remember this boss saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, you'll be able to take care of that when you get home, and the assumption that I was still going to go to this partner the next day. And I just felt like that was not in my service. And I'm a bit ashamed to say I made a very poor decision at that time to call the partner, and do something I would never ordinarily do. And I'm just pointing out that it created unnatural behaviors by me because of the way it made me feel. Mm-hmm. I asked this partner to express that I had come out there for the partner review, even though I had no intention of doing so, because I needed to go home and get this addressed and get on the medication. I put the partner in an uncomfortable position, right? Right. And I wish I could get that decision back. I later apologize to that partner for making such a poor decision. But I say these were the, you know, downstream byproducts of that kind of leadership that was more about results rather than the people and how they feel. Right. So it wasn't that long after that, frankly, that I was interviewing with Jason and saying, I don't know.
0: <laughs> what a great story though. And I appreciate you sharing it, even though you know it, it admits a, a bad decision on your part, but to your exact point, and I guess this is why I'm so passionate about this topic, is that you can see how here we have this person who's got fantastic potential. You've proven it. So we know we know that at 30 you had it because you've proven it in your career. But the the irony is, is that, again, working for someone who didn't allow you to feel like you could be authentic and prioritize yourself and what was important to you, again, business first and at the expense of your personal health in this case, right? It's just interesting how it does. Like as humans, we we either push back or we try to, you know, we try somehow to fold into the pretzel, right? Which is kind of what you were doing. It's like, you were somehow trying to figure out how to keep him happy, but still honor your health. And you had to do it by being inauthentic somehow. And so, or asking someone else to be on inauthentic for you. And it just goes to speak to what culture is. Like people don't understand what culture is. And it's those little tiny decisions that all stack up because if you were doing that, every other person that reported to that leader was doing something like that.
1: No doubt. And I can assure you they were.
0: Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) right.
1: One of the words you used as part of this, and and I know it's affectionately related to the podcast, is do a little gossiping, right? A lot of that took place around this particular leader and their predisposition around results over all things, right? And results are certainly important. But at the time, to your point, and it's not about me, I was number two in the country, at my job function. And I decided to take that skill set and my ascension elsewhere because I wasn't able to be the authentic me, good word by you. Mm-hmm. And you can compare and contrast that to pretty quickly later being an environment where people were fighting on other people's behalf, even when they made a mistake. And I had made a mistake at that point. No one knew about it. It didn't become public that I had done that. But you know, it just made me feel great about where I was and it made me want to do the right thing always. Right. On this person's behalf.
0: So if you have any words of wisdom that you want to pass along to anyone that's listening right now, give us, give us, what do you think? There's lots of us out there that are trying to be better leaders. So what can we take from what you've learned? I,
1: I think I'm not suggesting that it has to always be about people and you can't manage to performance because there are opportunities to be direct and, and give input and feedback, but look for those moments to engage your teams around the work And not after you've figured out what you think the answers to the test are. If you can tie people personally to the work, make them feel invested and give them opportunities to have their voices heard, you'll create fierceness and loyalty. And that's how I felt. And as a result, I've followed Jason to two different companies, stay in touch with them to this day and and try to maintain contact on a professional basis. I know that's oversimple.
0: But that's the irony as most of these things are, right? It sounds, they always sound common sense, but when we're out there working every day with leaders, we know for a fact that they're not common. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you, Eric. This was so much fun to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Yeah,
1: thanks, Christine. Love the opportunity. Thank you.
0: If you want to hear more, join me at com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.